We have camera manufacturers getting banned by the United States government. We have exposed phone home algorithms. We have exposed firmware doing eavesdropping techniques, turning audio on in remote areas and uh, vulnerabilities galore. Welcome to Episode 4 of Security in Focus, brought to you by Umbrella Technologies. This podcast is dedicated to the truth about security, entrepreneurship, and business. Not in that order. Here's your host, Thomas Carnival, founder of Umbrella Technologies. Welcome, everybody, to another uh, Security in Focus podcast, and I am very excited. We are having a very unique episode, Interview with a Hacker. And I'm very pleased to have my special guest, Alyssa Knight, on the line with me. Alyssa, thanks for joining. Thomas, thanks for having me on the show. I am super excited. So in our industry, and let me just kind of set the record straight, all the time, especially in the past three, five years, when I tell people, and I know colleagues of mine in my industry, when I say I'm in security, they automatically default to, oh, you're in IT security, you're in cybersecurity, right? 10, 15 years ago, when I said I was in security, no one thought I was in cybersecurity um, or anything like that. But it's it's funny, I was at a physical security conference this week uh, at the GSX in Chicago, and this was a running topic that we would all make fun of ourselves. Everyone thinks that we're in cybersecurity when we are not. We are in physical security. Um, and so with all the stuff going on in our industry, I thought it was very important to get not a physical security expert on the show and talk about what the technical security vulnerabilities are in commercial and enterprise video surveillance systems. So Alyssa, I'm very excited um, that you're here. And let's really dive in. You recently did a experiment and it was a very open experiment. You documented some of what your uh, ideas were, you documented the process. And overall, I just really find you so incredible to watch because you are passionate about security. Would you mind kind of diving in and taking us into what the uh, hypothesis was behind your uh, commercial surveillance camera hack and what your kind of ideas were going in and what you found initially? Sure, Thomas. Uh, I, I do want to tell you that you're not the only one who gets mistaken for the other realm of security by someone. I, I, I've had that happen multiple times where I'll tell them, you know, I, I work in cybersecurity. And that for even if I say cyber, for some reason, I always typically sometimes get... You're a security guard, right? <laughs> yeah, you're a security guard and you're, and you're packing. I, I, I know they're like, you know, okay, oh, so what do you shoot with? <laughs> what do you care? Do you have a CCW? It's like, um, wrong security guy. But uh, no, you know, it's, uh, it, it, the, thanks for bringing up, thanks for all the, the things that you said. I, I do definitely, I, I guess my charisma definitely comes through in my vlogs and my videos and my, my writing. I, I do definitely love hacking IoT devices, I, I particularly embedded systems. I, I'm, I'm a recovering hacker of 20 years. I've fallen off the wagon quite a few times, uh, but <laughs> uh, in that time frame, uh, near the latter part of that 20 years, I lived in Germany hacking into connected cars. And that was really my foray into hacking embedded systems. And if you look at CCTV cameras, if you look at NVRs, if you look at the physical security devices today, much to your point, it's all the internet of everything, right? It's 
everything is really just kind of being powered by these embedded operating systems. And unfortunately, you have these these manufacturers who are bringing physical security devices to market really with uh, not much experience in cybersecurity. There, you look at the cameras and they're fortified against physical you know, physical threats. So, you know, you have to have a, a star screwdriver to, to pop off uh, the cover on some of these cameras to gain access to the Ethernet port. But yet it's wide open. Uh, it's got an IP address. It's got services running. And uh, in my experience, quite a few vulnerabilities that allow remote code execution. So recently, which is how I think we met, uh, is I, I published a video on YouTube where I was, I think it started out dancing around the room with with the CCTV camera and uh, talked about the ability to launch a remote code uh, execution against this camera and and NVR. And, you know, in my experience, a lot of these cameras, a lot of these NVR devices, these network video recorders uh, have vulnerabilities. You know, they're not properly hardened by the manufacturer there's vulnerable services running on it that allow remote code execution and allow you to ultimately gain a shell on the device. Now, what was interesting about the research that I published is I was actually able to pivot from the CCTV camera uh, into the network of the organization. So I was able to do this with both a bank and a casino. So it's, if, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of like... You That's know, the jackpot. Exactly, exactly. Uh, literally, <laughs> with the casino. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because for me, you know, I'm always thinking of innovative new ways to pivot within a network. And the problem is, is a lot of these organizations are deploying these physical cameras or these physical security devices, and they're not isolating them onto their own network. They're They're bringing them in as part of the corporate Wi-Fi network or the corporate network. And you know, once you have a foothold on a camera, if it's not micro segmented into its own network, you can then reach other systems on that same network. And for me, it was able to, I was able to then pivot to other systems within the Windows Active Directory domains. So it's, organizations need to understand that these CCTV cameras, these NVRs, they need to be protected they need to be secured just like they would their their windows servers or their linux servers because that's really what these things are it's amazing to me how still some uh people don't understand the differences of competencies and core competencies that go into securing a facility you have your drywall guys you have your electricians you have your network infrastructure but more often than not you have a combination of carpenters and electricians doing surveillance systems and they don't know how to do basic username and password encryption on uh, an ip camera let alone set up a gateway or a subnet or configure that ip address and what bothers me even more is our my industry and i and i'm i i never hesitate or shy away from complaining or with motivation to make it better right complaining on its own is just complaining but too many manufacturers in the physical security industry call themselves now cyber experts. And they give these white papers on how to do cyber hardening. And um, because they're, they're really not speaking to the end user, they're not speaking to the casino or the bank, they're speaking to the people 
that are buying their products off the shelf of a distributor and installing it for the, the wide variety of commercial facilities out there. And they're trying to do this through education, but the reality is it's very, very weak sauce for all intents and purposes. And it's more reactive in PR from what I'm seeing and very less about how are you securing your infrastructure? So you were able to get all the way home from some of these initial discoveries. Um, I definitely want to understand if I'm an IT manager, because that is happening. I've seen the evolution in the past 10, 12 years. It's still the security manager's job to do threat analysis, but more often than not, it's now becoming the responsibility of the IT manager to design, specify surveillance infrastructure for a bank or for a commercial facility or for a casino. And have you thought about what some lessons learned could be for a job title like that? Sure. You know, the, I, I learned a lot in, in this research that I've been doing and, and I continue to learn, right? The, the interesting thing about this attack vector is you can do it from your car sitting in the parking lot of the facility, right? That's the scary thing. I don't need to try and social engineer my way past the front, front desk. I don't need to buy a, a uniform and pretend that I work for you know, a particular company uh, as a repair as a repair person. I, I just sat in my car. Uh, these cameras were connected to the wireless network uh, for the organization that I was hacking. And unfortunately, there was weak encryption being used uh, with the wireless network. I used some basic tools. Uh, one in particular was a pwn pad, uh, which is a tablet that was purpose built from the ground up as a wireless hacking device. And I was able to crack the key for the wireless network. And I was then able to become a client on this wireless network that the cameras were connected to. This allowed me to then reach the IP addresses of the cameras that were sitting in the parking lot from my car and then jump in. Without doing a sniff, without sniffing the network at all. Right. So actually, so the, the way this tool works is it it, it allows you to uh, actually sniff the packets of the wireless network uh, for offline cracking. Oh. And uh, it's pretty interesting. But so in, in any case, the uh, I was able to, to actually gain access to the wireless network once I had cracked the key. And you don't need to successfully authenticate with the wireless network in order to sniff the packets and then crack the key. So once I had the key, I could then connect to the network as a legitimate uh, wireless uh, client and then uh, access these cameras and then pivot. Uh, yeah, my recommendation would definitely be you need to think about all things around physical security, not just the physical threats to the devices, right? So these are enclosed devices. I really couldn't walk up to these cameras and you know access the Ethernet port. I think the, the extent of which, much to your point, uh, I think that's the extent of which the manufacturers think through these things is they don't think about the cybersecurity implications. Like, why are these cameras listening? You know, why do they have a, a, a web server listening on this port number or the service listening on this port number when it's not needed? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, in my experience, a lot of these devices have never gone through a penetration test. They've never been static or dynamic code analysis uh, has been done. So uh, my advice is, you know, if the, you're using these CCTV cameras on a wireless network, make sure that the wireless network is using a strong key. 
make sure that you know these are that you've got proper uh, cybersecurity controls around the wireless network. In addition to making sure that you yourself perform a penetration test of these devices. Unfortunately, we as practitioners can't rely solely on the manufacturer to do their due diligence and eat their own dog food and you know perform penetration testing of their devices. We need to take the onus and the responsibility to make sure that if we're going to invest in this infrastructure, we're going to invest in these devices, that we are taking care to perform penetration testing of them. Make sure that they're part of our regular patch management strategy and vulnerability management strategy to make sure they're regularly patched, that we update the firmware on these devices. A lot of the organizations that I've tested and went through, they were running firmware on these cameras and these NVRs that go back years. Like they never upgraded these devices. And, you know, a lot of these manufacturers will make published software that makes it easy to upgrade the firmware of these devices on a, on a mass scale. And and companies still aren't doing it. I think it's a set it and forget it. They They think about their servers because that's what they need to be thinking about. And they don't realize that they have these IoT devices around their building that have IP addresses as well and can be compromised can be used as a pivoting point into their internal network because of a a flat network or lack of segmentation. And just so we're clear, she's not taking a a, like a Nest Cam or like an Arlo or something like that, like an off the shelf nanny cam. This was a commercial big brand surveillance camera that is used in banks and casinos and critical infrastructure all around the world. Outside of the firmware not being updated, which that kind of maybe more relates to the taking seriously of the service and the implementation process of of the setup. But what are some other elements that surprised you in the recent endeavor? Well, you know, one of the things that is starting to happen is I really feel like there's this convergence occurring between physical security and cybersecurity. So I'm a BSI certified ISO 27001 lead auditor. And so I've done ISO 27001 audits. And with these organizations, uh, one thing that I've been increasingly seeing over the last 20 years is this really this convergence of the two worlds. And I, I think on the manufacturer side, you brought this up earlier, where these physical security device companies are, are starting to tout cybersecurity and I think the the same thing is happening on the fraud and risk side, where fraud companies are really trying to rebrand themselves as cybersecurity companies because that's where the budgets are. I'm sure that this is the impetus for a lot of the physical security device companies where they see that there's these really inflated budgets in the cybersecurity side and these budgets in cybersecurity crush the budgets of physical security. And so I think they're wanting in on that. I think it's a, a dollars and cents thing. Uh, so that's that's one observation I want to make. The other thing is, you know, there's definitely this convergence even of the roles where I see organizations that are eliminating the chief security officer position and the chief information security officer, the CISO position, is uh, being responsible for taking over the physical security controls. And and I think that really has had a lot to do with the the laws and rules and regulations like ISO 27001, GDPR, all these all these rules and regulations, PCI, where physical security controls are coming into play. There's an entire section of Annex A for ISO 27001 dedicated to physical security controls. And the person who's 
implementing, maintaining that ISO 27001 certification or attestation is responsible for the, the implementation of the Annex A controls. And I think that we're going to continue to see this where organizations are starting to shift that, that role accountability and authority over to the CISO and the separate role of chief security officer responsible for physical security is going to start to change. Obviously, this is going to depend on the size of the organization, but in my experience, that seems to really be shifting over to cyber. Having said that, uh, some of the other findings that I, I found in, in my research was really just coming from the realization that these security cameras with these companies are still being seen as the other person's responsibility, right? So, yes. you know, it, there's a lot of blame shifting where CISOs will kind of point the finger at facilities and say, oh, well, you know, that's not my responsibility. That's facilities. And facilities is pointing the finger at the cybersecurity group and infrastructure and operations and saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're responsible for doors and gates, you know, we're, we're responsible for deploying the cameras, but that really needs to be cyber who's in charge of patching it and keeping it updated and making sure that, that they're implemented securely. So I think there's this blame game that's going on between facilities and cybersecurity in a lot of the organizations that I've been to where I presented these findings. There was a, a large financial organization that I hacked uh, a few months ago where I showed them actual pictures from their cameras and live video feed where I, I demonstrated the ability to access their cameras remotely over the internet. Uh, same thing for an, a large oil and gas company, both upstream and midstream oil and gas company. Hmm. And the ability to also then jump into their badge reader system because the entire thing was orchestrated in the same platform. And it is, you sit in this room where it's a deer in headlights and each person responsible for their area of either facilities and cyber are just pointing the finger and saying, hey, you know what? I was never told that we would be responsible for that. You know, so I think because no one is stepping up and saying, hey, uh, when was the last time we upgraded the firmware on our cameras? Or who's, who's handling patch management for our cameras and our NVRs? Uh, I, I think since no one's stepping up to, to take the reins on that, that it's just not getting done. Well, even facilities saying that um, our responsibilities are doors and gates. Uh, in my last episode, we talked about access control vulnerabilities and even doors and gates you actually don't need any software or network uh, architecture experience to hack uh, the Wigan protocol, which is covered in 90% of all uh, proximity card readers across the, the world. Um, all you need to know is a very basic Wigan outline and, and uh, get a BLE key and you're in. <laughs> That's most facilities. So even more. Yeah, and a lot of things, especially in the connected car space, are shifting to BLE. Yep. as well. Yeah, it's yeah. It's crazy. And you know, it's funny because I I really don't think that these individuals who are responsible for for these systems, for these devices really understand that especially with CCTV cameras and VRs, these are mini computers. It's the same thing with car the connected car space and embedded systems. Cars are now no longer just these, you know, combustion engines and you know, they're rolling around with IPs and GSM, you know, SIM chips in them and uh, and communicating over GSM, 
You know, these are little mini computers with wheels, same thing with cameras. These are computers connected to a wireless network in some cases, Ethernet in other cases. But as long as you have access to that network infrastructure, these cameras, in my experience, are not getting properly hardened and not getting secured. And it's possible to breach these devices and use them as a pivoting point into the internal network because of a lack of micro-segmentation, because of a lack of, of, just because of the prevalence of flat networks where IoT building devices, facilities, uh, devices like SCADA systems are on the same network as the, the corporate LAN. So, so you were, you were a certified ethical hacker, correct? Obviously. Correct. Um, and so if you could maybe, you know, flip that little, I'm sure it doesn't exist at all, but if you could flip that little switch and, and, and not be ethical, if, and if you were looking to penetrate a commercial corporation, you've driven down this road a little bit already, but if I'm a hacker and I want to get into a corporate facility, why would I start potentially outside of some of what we've already said with surveillance cameras? Why would I start initially there? Well, I think it depends on your proximity, right? So if I'm targeting an organization, if I'm going to use any of the IoT devices in and around the building, I would need physical access, right? It's not something that I can do over the internet unless those cameras are connected to the internet, which is a possibility. We saw that in the large DDoS attacks with the CCTV cameras. But it it, it depends on your uh, vantage point to the target. So if it's a company that I want to use the IoT devices in and around the building, then yes, I'll need to drive over there. I'll need to make sure I have physical, I'm within physical proximity to the devices that I'm going to be using, whether it's CCTV cameras or anything else in and around the building. If I'm targeting a company over the internet, it's going to be a different vector. It's going to be in a, a different attack vector. It'll be, you know, their APIs, uh, which a lot of embedded systems communicate with, believe it or not. Like, you know, talk about smart cities and parking meters and all that stuff. Those are all communicating over APIs. Yep. But yeah, it really, I think the answer to your question is it depends on my vantage point to the target. If I am within driving distance, sure, I'll drive over there because my favorite thing now right now is hacking a company through its cameras or you know, any other IoT device that may be connected to their corporate land. So there's not really a, method, a methodical approach. It's really what type of company is it? Where Where is it located? You wouldn't necessarily go after known vulnerabilities first or go after firmware second. There's not necessarily a pecking list order that you would check off, it would be very targeted. Uh, so yes, you, you are correct. Uh, my focus right now at this point in my career is financial services and fintech. So I, I'm a senior analyst for a, a, a research analyst firm called IT Group that's focused in financial services. So a lot of my research right now is in financial services. So the answer to your question is, and just to expound on what you're saying, is it's it's really all of the above. So it's it's first understanding my target, understanding what their attack surface looks like is, you know, are there any services open to the Internet? Do they have a mobile app? And with many banks and financial institutions these days, they have a mobile app. I'll download the mobile app and see if I can get URLs out of it. If they're using code obfuscation, if they're not, I'll, I'll grab what I can out of that source code. If they hard coded any API keys in that mobile app, any credentials in that mobile app. I recently just finished research where I downloaded 30 financial services mobile apps and I hacked 29 out of 30 of them by reverse engineering the mobile app and finding hard-coded keys and credentials in that app. 
So, you know, that's the first place I'd check. Then I would check any internet facing servers. Uh, I would check who works there, find them on LinkedIn, see if it's, if it's possible to social engineer them and send them a spearfish to get them to click on a link or drive by download site where I can get an easy access onto their system. If they're, if I'm within physical proximity of the building, yeah, I'll drive over there. I'll see if they have any CCTV cameras or any wireless networks in the area that are bleeding out into the parking lot. I'll try and see if I can jump onto that wireless network from the parking lot uh, or, you know, see if I can walk into the reception area and plug in a pwn plug or something into the wall and, and uh, access the network that way. There are so many different ways in which you can breach a company now these days that it really doesn't require much effort. That's, uh, that's amazing because there is a big difference between an IT manager who could make surveillance camera decisions in a CISO, right? And then the security SOC team. And so if I'm an IT manager, is is there a way I could know that my surveillance cameras could be hacked? Yeah. So my my advice to an IT manager or anyone in a, any capacity, really, in IT or cybersecurity at a company is, well, first of all, make sure you're doing regular penetration testing and make sure you're doing it with an outside company. Bring in outside expertise you know, to make sure that the organizations tend to be drunk on their own Kool-Aid. So, you know, make sure you're retaining an independent third party to come and do a penetration test and make sure that your IoT devices are within scope of that pen test. If, if, they're, if they're doing an internal penetration test, which I recommend all organizations to do, make sure that your CCTV cameras, your badge readers, all those things are within scope of the penetration test. And then determine after that, you know, who really ultimately is in charge of this? Is it IT? Is it infrastructure and operations? Is it facilities? You know, who, who's in charge of the ongoing care and feeding of these cameras, of these physical security devices like badge readers moving forward once it's up and operational? Those kind of things need to be ironed out because whoever's in charge of it needs to make sure that it's part of a regular patch management strategy and vulnerability management strategy moving forward. There's just no doubt. I mean, and I and I relate that to what you said earlier. I, the, I mean, the budgets are incredibly lopsided for cyber than they are for physical. And that also spills into the ongoing service and maintenance. And I think that's a, a big thing that commercial security companies, they, they'll spend maybe half a million dollars on a you know very high-end surveillance camera system or, or less, maybe $100,000 but then they'll spend nothing for the first three years to maintain it. That just happens all the time is that you know, they don't yeah. consistent preventative maintenance. And then what happens? Oh, firmware is two years out of date. Yeah. I think organizations, I think organizations have a tendency to really just kind of budget for the initial purchase and not put any thought into the real true costs moving forward of who maintains this and in, in, in the continuous care and feeding, who, who performs it and, and how is it done? Every organization really needs to adopt a, a, an information security management system framework like ISO 27001, NIST, you know, adopt a framework. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm more partial to ISO. You know, organizations that are, are international, have international locations, they may find that ISO 27001 is the best fit because it's more of an international standard and it's very, very popular in Europe. For organizations that do business with the U.S. government or are just U.S. only may want to look at NIST, CSP, that sort of thing. But, I mean, adopt a framework. Make sure that you have some sort of plan, do, check, act, meaning a, a continuous OODA loop 
framework that where your cybersecurity program, your physical security program is part of a continuous improvement cycle, that you're continuously improving it, tracking key performance indicators on how well it's it's doing, are the number of incidents, physical and cyber, going down over time, and, and just continuously improving those. And, and if you don't know how to do this internally, retain help, reach out to organizations that have this expertise that can come in, make sure that things are operating efficiently, that waste is being eliminated, and that uh, these devices are continuously uh, fed and improved and, and kept, uh, you know, kept accurate over time. Well, I uh, am one of the opinion that you are an amazing gift, even though you're not in my industry. You're an amazing gift to my physical security industry because I really think we just need more call-outs. We need more reality checks. And I really hope you continue your research um, because uh, I, for one, have learned a lot from it. And I hope that the IT managers and physical security managers listening really got something out of this. Any final thoughts, uh, Alyssa, on hacking surveillance cameras? No, you know, um, first of all, thank you for the warm approbation. I'm, I'm happy. It's a, it's a privilege to be your spirit animal uh, <laughs> in cybersecurity and, and uh, would love to be on your show again. Uh, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I think drawing awareness to this problem really needs to happen. And it happens with one person at a time. And, and it's great to meet other influencers like yourself. I do consider myself to be a content creator and cybersecurity influencer, both written short and long form content as well as video. Uh, so check out my YouTube channel. For those of you listening, I'm published videos weekly. Uh, check out my Twitter. I'm at Alyssa Knight. It's A-L-I-S-S-A-K-N-I-G-H-T. And reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love giving my time to people who are interested in this. If you're interested in moving to cybersecurity, especially women out there, happy to be a, a guide for you and a sounding board because uh, we definitely need more women in this industry and happy to provide that sort of guidance. So thank you very much for having me on your show, Thomas. It's been fun. My pleasure, Alyssa. Well, we're going to link all of those up so that you can click the link in the uh, profiles and bio. And thanks again. Another episode, Security in Focus in the books. You've been listening to Security in Focus, a service of Umbrella Technologies. For more information, go to umbrellatech.co.